0: Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York.
1: Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you.
2: Welcome back to Gojo and Goalie, Guys, earlier in the show we were talking about the explosion of offense in the NBA, and that was certainly true for LeBron and the Lakers when they gave up a ton of points on Tuesday night, 138 to the Hawks in their loss. This dropped LA to below 500 this season at 24 and 25. And this is a concerning pattern for LA, guys. They've given up at least 127 points for the fifth straight game. They rank 19th in the NBA in points allowed, allowing 117.2 points per game to opponents now guys trade deadline coming up on Thursday February 8th changes expected for this Lakers team given their struggles and everything that's been going on not being not fueled by LeBron with some cryptic tweets post game last night just posting the hourglass emoji like whose time is ticking I don't know the guys are standing by with a special guest who can hopefully make sense of all this
0: Yes, uh, very excited to welcome back Tom Haberstroh Blazers Analytics Insider. You can check out all of his great work at thefinder.com on Twitter, at Tom Haberstro. And Tom, as someone who works in basketball, do your eyes just light up every time LeBron James starts going off and cryptically tweeting in the month of January? <laughs> because it feels
1: like a yearly rite of passage for something weird that's about to happen. For sure. Remember the Don't Fit In, Fit Out tweet oh. with Kevin Love? I mean, it was a the most cryptic thing ever. And he denied that it meant anything. Um, And then of course, years later, we find out that he was absolutely calling out his teammates. Um, This is just, I'm going to miss this more than anything. Maybe when LeBron James retires is the cryptic uh, tweets. That was just a mainstay of basketball Illuminati, our podcast at metal arc, where it was like every time he tweets, there's always a coded message. And so for this, I I'm interpreting this as his time's running out, and he's realizing maybe the coach's time is running out, and he wants to have um, maybe a change at the coaching position. That's my read because, as you said at the top, the defense has been atrocious. And as we know in basketball, the first thing to sell out when you've tuned out the coach is defense. That is a collect. That is a canary in the coal mine. When you have tuned out the head coach, is you're not playing together defensively, and the locker room isn't together. To me, that's the biggest indication that they need to make a, a change at the coaching position. Not just that they gave up so many points, but because LeBron James is tweeting cryptically.
3: So we sit there. Let, let's let's talk about two teams for a second. Obviously, everybody talks about the Lakers because of LeBron. Can he get the team back there, you know, at, at the age he's at? We just, as he even said, when they lost to Atlanta last night, a team who had been floundering as well, I think lost four of their last five and were eight games under five hundred. He said, any given night, we can beat any team in the NBA and any given night, we can get our ass kicked by any team in the NBA. And he said, that's why it's what happens when you're hundred. So we just saw a classic Saturday night, Golden State and the Lakers. And and uh, uh, LeBron James and Steph Curry and what they did in two overtimes. But that was from the ninth and 12th teams in the conference. So right out of the gate, when we're getting to the end of the season and playoff time, is there any way either one of these teams can make themselves relevant in the playoffs?
1: Hey, I'll throw this one at you. What if the Golden State Warriors trade for LeBron James? (laughs) Please, God, yes.
0: Please, God, give me
1: this gift. I mean, I mean, think about it, right? because if you look at LeBron, uh, Brian Windhurst at ESPN uh, just reported this week uh his opinion that he he's not sure if LeBron James is gonna be with the Lakers next season, uh which would mean which would indicate that he's either going to pack up with his player option and move somewhere else, or he's going to look for a trade. And we know that the Golden State Warriors have two really good, three really good young players who are maybe not ready to go and chase a championship in Moses Moody, Jonathan Kaminga, and Brandon uh, Pajemski. What if the Lakers were just like, okay, LeBron, if you're done, if you're done with this whole thing, then we'll just move you. Where do you want to go? And he might say, I want to link up with my guy, Draymond Green, and Stephen Curry in Golden State. And Golden State has young pieces that the Los Angeles Lakers, if they're going for a rebuild or going for, you know, guys who fit next to Anthony Davis, uh, that might be something that they revisit is the idea of LeBron James going to golden state. And that would be an amazing story for the NBA, but also for the warriors who are trying to figure out a way to get another creator, another guy with a high IQ to step in with those young players and get rid of this two timeline thing that Joe Lacob has insisted on. And instead would shift back into one timeline. And finally, we would have the two kids from Akron, Stephen Curry and LeBron James on the same team. Uh, Tom, I've been waiting for this. The all-star game flirtation
0: over the years between LeBron James and Steph Curry has been one of my favorite things to watch. It went from back in the day, the footage of him gassing Steph up before he was Steph to all the smiling and laughing out there on the court, the high-fiving, it looked like a rocky beach montage. So this would be the (laughs) perfect culmination of that finally coming to fruition. And would also finally give us, I mean, especially in the Lakers iterations of LeBron James, him being able to space the floor, not just with shooters, but with the greatest shooter of all time as potentially like an interesting fit. Like, does he fit what that team has traditionally been? What does it look like meshing? What's been this free flowing style of Warriors basketball and LeBron James, who's often been an offense into of himself?
1: Yeah, uh, I think he would be a good fit. I mean, when you talk about Steve Kerr's offense, it's predicated on reads and ball movement they have one of the slowest off uh pace pace ratings in the nba so they're not necessarily going up and down in a track meet which fits lebron james's style right now he does not want to have to run at this age and i think what steve kerr has harped on is he wants jonathan kaminga and the rest of the rotation to and jo- jordan Poole didn't meet this standard uh they want high iq players who can read each other play for each other lebron james is the highest IQ player maybe ever to step foot on a basketball court. He has an encyclopedic memory. He's a guy who uh, with, can play almost blindfolded out there, know where his teammates are. So in terms of uh, the ability to play in that system, offensively, I think there's no question about it. He can fit into the the Warriors' system. It's defensively, I think they need another big man who can uh, protect the rim. Draymond Green getting up there in age. Kavon, Kavon Looney has aged faster than any big man I can remember. Uh, I think they do need another big man, but LeBron James, I just, man, thinking about that five man closing lineup of play, Steph, wow. Draymond, uh, huh. and and insert whomever you want there in the fifth la- in the fifth slot, it doesn't matter. That is going to be an outstanding closing unit. And just the basketball would be a it would be a virtuoso every night.
3: So we were talking earlier about, uh, Tom, scoring in the NBA and how much it's up. And I've talked about this comparatively to the NFL, where rules were changed more against the defense for the offense to make it more exciting. Where are we on the line of it being too much offense, not so far as an NBA All-Star game, which becomes unwatchable, much like – The NFL Pro Bowl, because nobody hitting it, was just seven on seven until they changed those rules. Where are we with, is it too much scoring to nowhere at a good spot?
1: So we are having the most scoring per game in the NBA since the 60s, since the early 60s. And I've written on TomTheFinder.com that this is not the juiced era of basketball, That was the juiced era of basketball. In 1962, when Wilt Chamberlain scored 100 points in a game and averaged 50 for a season and Oscar Robertson averaged a triple-double, there was 130 possessions per game in that era. They shot 41% on twos. Today, they shoot 55% on twos. They just went up and down, shot their first shot within the first few seconds, and then went back on defense. There was nothing compared to what we're doing, dealing with now. That was just insane basketball, and you saw a huge hyperinflation in scoring numbers. And if we're going to hold the Wilt Chamberlain record of 100 points in, in, as a legitimate record, then these scoring nights that we're seeing, they're absolutely legitimate. And the reason why we have so many scoring nights, high scoring nights, is because of the pace. We're averaging 100 possessions per game right now, which in the early 90s or in the 90s, early 2000s, it was at like 90 possessions. So we're having 10 more possessions per game. And compared to the 60s, we're still, this is slow basketball. It's almost like imagine imagine in football if they played with five downs instead of four downs. That's Mm -hmm. what we're talking here is in baseball. If they played 12 innings or 10 innings instead of nine innings, that's what's happening in today's NBA where they're just getting more possessions and more opportunities to add to their scoring totals. And also the three point shot, Mike, like the idea of yes, the pace is higher, but also the three point shot has not only increased the scoring because three is more than two, but The added effect of spacing, the geometry of spacing out, creates more driving lanes and more ability for a guy to be on an island, defending Kevin Durant on an island because there's no one behind him. It's a five-out system. I'm having to guard Luka Doncic by myself, whereas in the 90s, there'd be guys stacked behind you and in the paint. That's no longer the case. So defense is so much harder to play now, and we're seeing a lot more 50-burgers than we did 10 years ago. Put it this way, the Golden State Warriors in 2016 or sorry, sorry, 2017, when Kevin Durant was on the squad, they finished with the best offensive rating in the NBA that season. That same offensive rating would finish 28th today. Kevin Durant, Golden State Warriors, peak basketball that we can remember. The Charlotte Hornets are scoring at that rate right now. So that's how quickly things have changed. It, the spacing, the three point shot, the pace has gone up, but I still think if we're going to hold Will Chamberlain's record as, as legitimate, these numbers are not out of the norm.
0: I'm glad you brought up Will's record, Tom. I wanted to run this by you. You mentioned your basketball Illuminati background here. I'm thinking about becoming a Will Chamberlain 100 point game truther, just because we've got (laughs) video of so much. Now we somehow don't have footage of this. Walk me through. Is this a decision that I should make right now? Potentially, because I don't want to do too much conspiracy theory stuff. We see how far that can go with like the Aaron Rodgers of the world. But I figured this could be a good lane for me to start to become a Wilt Chamberlain, hundred point game truther.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for someone to be like, Hey, uh, we found the video and it turns out the NBA just like came up with like an AI deep fake video of Wilt Chamberlain. (laughs) And we're just truth squatting that. Um, I think we're not too far away from that. Uh, but I do, I do think that it's interesting that like, we have this conversation about the legitimacy of today's 50 Burgers and 60 Burgers. By the way, wait a minute, time out. This is the perfect forum to discuss this. Do you guys know the origin of 50 Burger? No,
0: no. I was just, as I heard you saying it, it was starting to register again. I was like, why do we use burger as the operative
1: term for large scoring outputs? So I did some digging on this. Apparently it's because of Dick Buckus, okay? The legendary Dick Buckus once said that he would eat a burger for every point that the opponent scored against him. And then apparently the opposing team scored 50 points. And there was like a whole thing about him having to eat 50 burgers about. Oh my God. Oh my God. Wow. (laughs)
0: Yeah. like. Okay, it, this wow. is this is the most important news I have heard this entire week, Tom. Yes. So you mean to tell me we have that phrase now because at one point people were worried that Dick Butkus was going to have to eat 50 literal burgers
1: after a really bad game. Yes, and, and I don't know if there's any other possible reason. You know, like no one's eating 50 burgers. It's not like you're going to McDonald's and let me get the 50-piece burger. No, I get it when people are like, yeah. I'll have the – you know, uh, like Kendrick Perkins likes to say, oh, he had 30 points, he had a th- 30 piece nugget last night. That makes sense to yeah. me. We've all sat down at 11 o'clock at night and been like, I'll have a 30 pieces of those Chicken McNuggets, right? 50 burgers though, there has to be an origin story here that revolves around a guy like Dick Puckkiss, and apparently, I have done some research on this, that is the origin story that I think there might be. Mick, forget Wilt's 100, guys. I think we need film of Dick Butkus trying to eat 50 burgers in one sitting. Was Dick well, Butkus the original a- major league eater? This is
0: in in my in this essay I will Dick Butkus invented major league eating.
3: W- w- without even knowing it, he did that because eating 50 burgers, I got to believe in one sitting is harder than scoring 100 points in an NBA game. That's just me. Uh, we will see. That, that's an incredible story that, that Tom, I'm not going to lie. At some point, we're going to steal from you, and we're not going to credit you for it. That's just <laughs> kind of the way Mike and I are. So I, I apologize up front for that. Well, wow, um, by the way, back on um, the court, Joey
0: Chestnut do- owns the world record for eating 103 Crystal Burgers in eight minutes back in 2007. So it is possible to eat 50 burgers in a sitting. I'd assume Crystal Burgers are a little bit
1: smaller. Yeah, I was gonna yeah, say yes. this. This yeah. has to be the best place to discuss this. What is the inflation rate of Crystal Burgers versus, say, a quarter pounder with cheese?
3: Well, so I mean, it's obviously huge, to right? Look it's
1: like a- White Castle Burgers. I
0: think they're like the yeah, little, exactly. smaller, squared off ones. Yeah, so more right. Of a White Castle size. So,
1: so what is the yeah, equivalent? Yeah. Is hundred and three Crystal Burgers, White Castle Burgers equivalent to seventy? Like, let let, let me I- tell you. It puts it puts Dick Butkus
3: in the category, right? I still think, obviously, the eaters of today could eat more than fifty in a sitting. But let me tell you, you talk back in the day of him eating fifty in a sitting—that's going to be some pure amazement, right there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So yeah. again, we've got it. We now we have even more homework here right now. I'd imagine Tom the dot com the dot com is going to be all over this one. Tom, in the meantime, while we've got uh, you for a couple more minutes here on the basketball front would be remiss last night big moment for the NBA as we had the 76ers and the Warriors playing Joel Embiid goes down tweaking a knee injury at the very end of that game uh, how bad is this not just now but long term Joel was coming back after missing some time with an injury this year there's been so much of the conversation about his MVP candidacy and the 65 game rule because of the amount of time that he's missed how worrisome
1: is this very much so. Although I will point out, it was the other knee, it was, or unrelated to his previous knee injury, because this was a contact. Right. Boom, Kaminga falling on it. Um, but this is what sports scientists and medical folks in the NBA, when the 65 game rule came out and the player participation policy came out, that would um, that would punish players for missing games um, due to rest or load management or you know skipping games uh, in the schedule. Their point is not only are you trying to make sure guys are ready for the postseason and the, the the championship run and extending their careers, but when they miss a game, they have zero chance for injury. This Joel Embiid game, he didn't look good. He looked like he was rusty. He admitted as much that he was, you know, not you know up to himself. And if he had rested that game, there is a zero percent chance that Jonathan Kaminga falls on his knee, which is. A big reason why NBA players, when they're trying to win a championship, they they have to keep that root that that calculus in their head is if I go out there, it might not even be that I re-aggravate my hamstring injury like Tyrese Halliburton did when he came back too early from that trying to get to 65 games. It might be that hey, freak freak things happen, um, and so they oftentimes will point to the fact that they go from maybe I have a one percent chance of having an injury to zero. And that is worth something. So Joel Embiid, if he misses a lot of time due to this injury, it'd be a real shame. And it would get me to the point where I think the national conversation would be, we need to get rid of this 65 game rule. We need to get rid of it. It doesn't make sense. You can already, voters already keep in mind the player game total when they're deciding these awards. If a player plays 64 games or 65, they're already incorporating that into their voting ballot. We don't need some sort of rule to artificially bring in some sort of bar to be entered into this competition. I think it's something we're going to have to tweak or maybe possibly get rid of going forward because I think it disincentivizes the right thing. I think it disincentivizes players treating their injuries with a long-term view of their uh, of their postseason. We, we, we talk about big playoff and rings, and yet when we prioritize that, then... It's a problem. I think players should want to play every game but not come back early and put themselves at at undue risk for injury.
3: He also tweaked an ankle last night, did Embiid, and a big man with lower body injuries are tough, and they're 3-9 and without him on the court. Tom, only about a minute to go. How much does Doc Rivers help the defense of the Milwaukee Bucks?
1: Well, at the very least, he's going to have a plan, right? Like, that was the biggest thing from Adrian Griffin, Um, was they wanted to have a plan. They wanted to have an idea of what to do, and they had a very successful X's and O's on that end of the floor of playing drop coverage and having Brooke Lopez own the paint or Giannis own the paint area in pick and rolls. Then they tried to go and blitz those pick and rolls early in the season. Did not work, and they were scrambling on that end of the floor. Doc Rivers knows what he wants to do. Adrian Griffin, as a first-time head coach, did not have – the best idea, or at least the buy-in of what he wanted to do, and then it just he he lost a lot of the locker room at that point when he had to switch up. Keep in mind, Damian Lillard not on the team when he got the job, Adrian Griffin, so he had to kind of throw things against the wall and try to re reshape that defense. And I think that's why he ended up not being uh, there for the long haul. And Doc Rivers coming in at the very least is going to help defensively. And I got to tell you, we got to get rid of. I know we're running out of time. Gotta get rid of the hole. He blew he blew three three one leads. It is a ludicrous uh, stigma attached to Doc Rivers, and we need to just get rid of that in the NBA conversation.
0: Wow. All right. Taking meme taking a meme out of the most rich meme culture in sports in the NBA. Tom Abbastro, this is more of what you can get at TomThefinder.com. He's the reason that at six nineteen Pacific, I am wanting to order burgers right now coming off this. Tom, <laughs> we always appreciate the time and the insight, man. Thanks so much. You're welcome. How no. <laughs> <I'm not> gonna... <laughs> right, guys, let's talk about Jagermeister. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister U.S., White Plains, New York.
2: To Gojo and go it. Like, guys, listen up because this is important, okay? The big game is coming up, and VSIN has a free downloadable betting guide that you need to get your hands on. It features the expert handicappers and analysts from VSIN. It includes key Super Bowl betting trends, historical analysis, tips, prop betting strategies, everything you need to be ready for the big game. Just go to slash DKN to download your free guide today. All right, guys, speaking of the NFL and the big game, obviously only two teams playing in that one. So the 30 other fan bases already locked in on the offseason. This week on ESPN, Matt Bowen released his top ten free agents that people should be keeping their eyes on. Okay, so some big names on here. Chris Jones from the Chiefs. Guys, when you're looking at this top ten, is there anybody that you think should be higher or does this seem like it's relatively on point for you?
0: Uh, no, I think it's um, what you'd expect out of this. I, I was surprised, Dad, as we've been so, you know, locked into the flow of the season seeing some of the names that have popped up here and remembering now who's going to be available, there's some incredible talent on this list, especially defensively with Justin Matabike who we just saw his season end with the Baltimore Ravens, had a career year and a contract year. Christian Wilkins, who's been so great and a part of a couple different very uh, Miami Dolphins defenses there. Uh, Daniil Hunter, Brian Burns, like you've got a lot of talent defensively that you're going to be able to work with here in addition to quarterback-wise, since we know that's what everyone cares about, Kirk Cousins as a fast centerpiece to this conversation, given the fact that he's coming off injury, given the fact that he's been a guy that's been much maligned as having a ceiling in the postseason, despite usually putting up consistently great numbers when he's under center for you.
3: Listen, I love the fact that out of the 10 we just listed, six are defensive line, either ends, tackles, or edge guys. I think that's fantastic. And the money that's going to have to go out, there are projections out there that we know the salaries of what some of these guys made. The biggest jump, Metabike, and what he did—he's—he's he's coming off the, the last year of his four-year rookie deal, and Baltimore. I talked about this earlier on the show. Baltimore actually offered him a contract extension during the regular, or during training camp that he turned down. He basically said, "I'm going to bet on myself." And he bet on himself to the tune of 13 and a half sacks from the defensive interior position. Projections out there now for at least three of them, Metabike, Christian Wilkins, and Brian Burns, uh, are all that their value is in the area of $20 million a year. And you don't think Chris Jones is going to get something like that? And Josh Allen, you know, he, may, he had 17 and a half sacks last year uh daniel hunter had 16 and a half sacks last year so there's there's a lot of sacks that were out there this year for guys you know that are now looking for paydays and we'll see if, if franchise tags come into play and all that as well uh but you're looking at some guys some defensive line guys who and we always talk about the big money so obviously starts with quarterback then you talk about a left tackle on offense you talk about a cornerback on defense and an edge rusher. But now you're getting some of these D tackles that are, you know, doing great things. Now Chris Jones goes out and rushes over the end, as well. We'll see him do that in the Super Bowl, but you're getting some good stuff. We used to be Aaron Donald was the talk of the interior of the line, right? Then you started adding some names into there of guys who are playing well. But this year between like I said between Wilkins and Matabike, And Chris Jones, who, you know, and and others, that D tackle position has been turning into a pretty prime position as well.
0: Yeah, it's gonna be interesting watching what happens down the middle of the field with a lot of positions. You've heard a lot of people, we've talked to Mina Kimes before on this show about how off-ball linebacker, something that we've seen an incredibly high level of play of during the postseason, is gonna become extremely valuable. And you start to look down this list of free agents, Dad, we're talking about names like Patrick Queen in Baltimore, Frankie Louvoo in uh for the uh, Carolina Panthers here. There's not necessarily a huge chest of big names at that position as you wonder, all right, are people going going to start reaching more in the draft for stuff like that because as we see a league where so many of these Shanahan McVay offenses are trying to attack the middle of the field they're such competent tight end play across the board you need guys like that you need you know it's it hard to say a Kyle Hamilton type because there aren't many phys- people that meet the physical profile that he does but you're starting to see once again that emphasis placed on the middle of the field in the way that there's just not a lot of in the market right now.
3: Yeah, I, I love up the middle, like you said, with Roquan, Roquan making 20 mil. You know who's going to be an interesting one, Mike, is our, our Notre Dame guy, Kyle Hamilton. I mean, he's a guy, took a couple years in the league, remember when he ran the 4 6 you know, before the draft, everyone was like, oh, my God, what are you going to do with this guy? And it took him a little bit to find the position for him. But you want to talk about an up-the-middle guy, whether it's at safety, he can play like a linebacker. He's up on the line as well. And we're talking safeties making in the area of 19, you know, 18, 19 mil, the top guys. He's a guy that's going to bust that one. So uh, it, it is interesting to look forward Too, Because you're right, we always do talk about up-the-gut interior linemen, middle linebackers, and safeties on their value. And we have seen that safety position, I think, maybe more than any other position outside of when I played, these edge rushers were tweeners and didn't make the game, right? They were too big for linebacker, too small for D-line. Now they're the edge rushers. You know, that, that are making a, a ton of money. I think one of the other big changes in the NFL has been what you're expecting out of the safety position, especially when a guy like Derwin James uh, came into the league and what he could do. So uh, those are the positions. And now you're seeing not just the Aaron Donalds of the world on the interior of that D line, you're, we're finding their worth. It's not always associated uh, with sacks. A lot of times, stuff they do won't even show up in the the box score, but teams and management sees those and sees the effect they can have on a
0: game. Yeah, I do wonder if we're going to have free agents that are able to take pressure stats to the table now when they're negotiating and say, hey, listen, everybody who understands real football understands the value of this. Let's start to make that a monetary thing as well, because I think you're absolutely right with the effect overall for that. And I, I... I look at this board right here, dad, I'm not going to lie. The first team that I thought of was the Dallas Cowboys. Like we know financially their house is not in order right now. They've got all the stuff they need to work out with Dak Prescott, but you look at a lot of the defensive names that are on this chart right now. And I look further down the list because I don't think based on their current situation, they're going to be able to afford guys like Justin Matabike or Christian Wilkins in that. But, Could you afford a Leonard Williams, who's going to be a free agent after his time with the Seattle Seahawks? Is there someone like that that you can bring in for this one very clear need you have right now as a rush defense up front? I think there's going to be a lot of teams like them that look at this postseason. What have we seen throughout the entirety of this NFL postseason? After years of being told this is an 11 personnel league, this is a pace and space league, we're going to spread it out and go wide open and sling the ball all over the yard. We've seen. All right, defenses are going to play a ton of too high now. They're going to give a bu- keep a bunch of guys back and take away big plays. You mentioned the premium paid on safety is because now you got to come down and fill from a lot further away because you're trying to take away these big plays. But offensively, it's been okay. We're going to batten down the hatches. The Buffalo Bills made the runoff being able to run. The Chiefs have tightened down into a multiple tight end group. The San Francisco 49ers and the Miami Dolphins run as much or more base personnel as anybody in the NFL. All of it's constricted back down here now. And so I do wonder if, hey, we've seen rushing the ball and being able to stop the rush have been the most important factors in the postseason. Once again, after all this offensive revolution, how is that reflected in the dollars and cents that are spent in the free agent market for a lot of teams to trying to bet, address what was clear deficiencies for some of these groups that showed up and absolutely bit them in the ass when it came to the postseason.
3: And right as of last week, um, here are the teams, 49ers, Seahawks, Steelers, Browns, Cowboys, Broncos, Bills, Chargers, Dolphins, Saints, all over the cap. Uh, mm-hmm. So you have to be in the cap by the, by the start of the new year. So all these free agents that we're looking at right now, we have to, If teams that are over the cap or close to being over have to find space, that's when you're going to see restructured contracts or extensions, you know, look, look squarely at like a Dak Prescott right, for the uh, Cowboys, who last week were about $20 million over the cap. He could, he could get rid of that in a heartbeat, you know, with an extension. So that's interesting things to look at as we see these players who are all going to be looking for big money, what teams have to do to be in position to get one of these. The, by the way, the furthest over the cap right now, the Saints, as of last week, $83 million over the cap. Have fun with it. Yeah,
0: the New Orleans, famously the authors of the idea that the salary cap isn't real, finding out that, in fact, it might be very real and it might crush them to death. Dad, they're very fond of the phrase, the draft starts in mobile down at the senior bowl group. But I, I will say it is fun for me when we get to this time of year in draft season to watch a lot of the NFL people, whether that's the, the scouts and people that are actually making their living off, trying to get these young guys to come play for them or the people that cover the NFL in watching them meet our sweet college boys as they make that jump to the next level. Did you see all <laughs> the highlights of lad McConkey just cooking oh. people in one-on ones at the senior bowl yesterday?
3: Oh yeah, I I do like what and listen. The Senior Bowl is all about the practices. Practice during the week. I mean that's quite honestly. I think most of the scouts leave after the practice and don't even stay for the game. They'll just watch tape of the game or something. The practice is there, man. Guys are just laying it on the line, and that's when sometimes the the name a name we know shows what they can do, and other times that's when you find guys that you didn't know, maybe from smaller schools that you didn't see play or didn't hear of, all of a sudden they're playing against Power 5 players and they're they're putting on a show. And that's when you see some stock rise. And, and that's what I like. Again, you're in pads. You're doing something at least on the field uh, to show. And, and this is – because that's always the biggest question, especially with smaller school guys. Well, how are you going to do against – you know, power five competition. And then how are you going to do against NFL players? And when they show that in practice or in the game that they can play well against those, I really like how it jumps their stock.
0: Yeah, it's huge for those guys. It's I think the biggest opportunity for them because of what you mentioned, the lack of consistent high-end competition. Most scouts will go to the games they played against Power 5 opponents and stuff like that. But even the obvious stuff isn't always as obvious. Like, Ladd McConkey is going to be the NFL's Pat Connaughton where if you don't read the scouting report, bad things are going to happen to you because this dude has been remixing some of the best athletes on the planet in the best conference in college football for the last however many years. And yet people are still oohing and eyeing. And I already saw... We're getting the lazy comp to Cooper Cup because God forbid we compare a wide receiver to someone who's got different skin tone than he does there. So yeah. I will challenge everyone this draft season to find a non-white draft comp for Ladd McConkey because he's going to be someone that gets talked about because he is a very <laughs> compelling player. The other one that made me laugh Dad, was Joe Milton former quarterback of the Tennessee Vols who showed up at senior role practice. And I saw what's been a staple of college football for all of his time in it, which is every off season us getting sexed up by the arm strength. Again, everyone talking about the absolute cannon he's got attached to his shoulder. I saw the video of the orange that he threw at practice, like 80 yards come up again right now. It is a tried and true (laughs) staple. And he is going to be the ultimate example, dad of he's arm candy. Someone in the NFL is going to look and say, yeah, Josh Heupel, Tennessee, Michigan, and Jim Harbaugh. You guys couldn't get it out of Joe Milton, but I can get something out of all that talent right now. Yeah. He is the prototype that the NFL looks for that they think they know better than everybody else is better. And I hope it for him. Joe seems like a nice kid. He's insanely talented. I would love nothing more than to watch that dude hit and somehow have a Hall of Fame career despite what we've seen at the college level so far.
3: Listen, we always root for the player, but we are, we are analysts you know, going over things. I, I hope the guy does great with whatever he does. But this is kind of the other side of it. You don't see the production in actual games, and then he goes against, you know, talent, top five, you know, top talent at the senior bowl, and he's airing it out, it looks great. That to me would not mean a whole lot, completely reverse of a small town of small school guy who you weren't sure of his competition, coming to these practices and showing out. Joe Milton showing out at these practices really doesn't do anything for me because he had chances against top-tier talent in college, and it didn't really happen. i will we'll continue to say, I hope he makes it. I hope he has a great career, but it's our job to analyze it, and I'm not getting lost in the sauce on that one to say, wow, look at what he's doing here when he had plenty of chances to do it out there against, you know, top competition and it wasn't happening.
0: No, nope, it, uh, but it's going to be fun to watch that for other people because Lord knows I put on my clown mask every offseason in college football and looked <laughs> longingly at that arm and said something's about to happen. But uh, speaking of something about to happen, let's talk about his alma mater, oh. Jesse, is Tennessee once again in the center of the NCAA
2: crosshairs. Got a good old-fashioned NCAA violation investigation going on. (laughs) Gather up the horses, fellas. So they are under investigation for violations related to name, image, and likeness. Now, this puts the volunteers in the crosshairs here for, you know, potential sanctions as repeat violators. As we know, they are fresh off that NCAA ruling in 2023. They were charged with 18 Level 1 violations find a record $8 million. So per the New York Times, guys, uh, one of the allegations at the center of this investigation centers around a collective's payment for a PJ flight for the Tennessee quarterback. Uh, like, uh, really? I mean, sometimes you read about these NCAA violations and you're like, this seems so innocuous. Like, how, why would you try to get somebody in trouble for this? And then you read some of them where you're like, why are we flying recruits on PJs? Well, it's where we've arrived at in
0: college football. And that's the interesting part about all this one, because Tennessee's coming off of those other sanctions, like you mentioned, that happened under Jeremy Pruitt. And those were the subject of a lot of jokes. Remember, it was people talking about him handing recruits money in McDonald's and Chick-fil-A bags. Jeremy Pruitt telling investigators that part of the reason he was doling out this money was because he felt personal guilt about the social reckoning that was going on in the country at that time. All of that was remnants of the old era what their defense essentially for now is the old dave Chappelle comedy line sorry officer i didn't know i couldn't do that they're basically trying to look at the ncaa dad and say we don't know how it's possible that we're supposed to know what we can and can't do based on how you keep changing the rules because all of this right now as the ncaa we've seen is starting to try and crack down on name image and likeness goes back to the central thesis of what they put out as the guidelines to begin with which is hey We understand this is going to happen. You just can't use it to entice recruits. And the brass of Tennessee saying that's stupid is, I think, a defensible uh, format here for them to try and go. But them saying we didn't know what we couldn't do, that's been spelled out very clearly from day one since the NCAA put out its first guidelines is you can't use this to entice recruits. So when all of a sudden they start trying to enforce it, they're not technically wrong about what they're trying to enforce, even if I think it's the dumbest thing on earth. So,
3: and I agree with you, the NCAA made this rule, but then they weren't really enforcing it. And then, I don't know if a light switch flipped in the office or something, but then they decided to start enforcing it. And I think all of those colleges were like, wait a minute, you weren't really enforcing it, now you're enforcing it. And by rule, you're right, they can enforce it. And it's always revolving around NIL collectives. This one, the Spire Sports Group, uh, which is Tennessee's primary NIL collective, Basically, what we have going on is, before all of this, you gave an under-the-table bag of money to an 18-year-old to come to your school. Or while you, that, then while that player was with a school, you gave him a bag of money while he was there to stay there, and that was promised to him when he got there that he would be paid during his duration there. Now, under these new rules, basically that bag of money goes on top of the table for the players that are already in college. Now, here you go. Take the money. Here's the money for you. But still, it is not allowed to be on top of the table for the 18-year-old being recruited by the school. So the NCAA is trying dearly, trying dearly as you climb the rope in gym school and trying to make it to the top of the rope and you start sliding down and burn your hands. The NCAA is trying to hang on to that last bit of amateurism by saying you can't entice the 18-year-old to come to your school, and if you do, we're going to nail you, and that's where Tennessee is going to get nailed for.
0: ESPN obtained a document where the Tennessee chancellor, Don DePlowman, dishonest for the NCAA to issue guidelines that say third-party collectives can meet with prospective student-athletes, discuss NIL, and even enter into a contract with prospective student-athletes, but at the same time say that collective can't engage in conversations that would be of a recruiting nature. Any discussion about NIL might factor into a prospective student's decision to attend the institution. They are absolutely right about that, and I think that's what's at the crux of it, Dad, is the system has already decided this is the way it's working. The NCAA can continue to try and turn a blind eye to this, act like it's not happening, enforce sporadically when it sees the opportunity to do so, or it can do what got it in the position to begin with this time around and accept reality and start to govern accordingly. This is the system the sport is operating under, and until you get to a point where these athletes are actually employees and we get what most... Coaches want now, which is a lot more control over the situation by bringing it in house. It would benefit them, and I think everyone else, to finally accept the reality of the situation instead of continuing to kick the can down the road and just like act like things have been the way they've always been when that's the furthest thing from the truth. All right, guys, time to finish off the show the way we always do. This, that, and the third. Three quick stories to send you off into the rest of your day. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review us. Leave us a five-star rating and try and check us out here live Monday through Friday, 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern on the DraftKings Network whenever you can. If you miss us or any of our great guests, shout out to our buddy Charlotte Wilder from the Oddball Podcast here. Shout out to our friend Tom Habistro, NBA analyst over at TomTheFinder.com for joining us today and making us smarter. If you missed that, check it out wherever you get our podcast. their podcast or right here on the DraftKings YouTube channel when we get done with the show. live out in the Super Bowl at Radio Row in Las Vegas, and we are also going to be live at a different time on the DraftKings Network. We will be airing live from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern all next week, Monday through Friday. The best of Gojo and Golik is going to air from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern in the spot that we're normally on here, so it's a one-week change. we got some different logistical challenges out in Vegas next week. Don't want to catch anyone off guard, so again, we will start at 4 o'clock Eastern live every day just for next week. Dad, in the meantime, let's get to this. And let's start off with uh, food innovation. Now, as anyone who's seen who's followed us for a while, who's followed me on Twitter at Michael Jr. for a while, big fan of food and snack brands, continuing to find ways to make it new and exciting. And Oreo put out a couple of interesting teasers here. I saw a potential teaser where it looked like a commercial for Chris, with Chris Jenner and the Kardashians for the Super Bowl, but also saw this, Dad, not too long ago. One small step for man. One giant leap for cooking kind. Oreo is coming out with the space dunk that landed on shelves a couple of days ago. I have not been able to track this down yet, but dad, much like Stu Gotts claiming he can taste the difference in the colors of Fruit Loops, I don't know if I'm ready to go so far as to say I can taste the difference in all the different color Oreos, but the Halloween Orange Oreos, the Minty Green Oreos, and all the different iterations over the years do, in my opinion, lend something different to the experience. So I'm excited to try these very pink and blue Space Dunk Oreos.
3: I am as well, and I hope with the pink and blue, I hope it's double stuff. I mean, because... The, the thin Oreos I want, I want no part of, right? Uh, I want oh, yeah. double stuff or nothing for me. So I, I'm hoping it's double stuff. I will try anything. And here is my, I, I, don't, I, I don't think I ask much. So we are going to be the week at the Super Bowl with DraftKings, going to have a great setup there by Radio Row. And one of the things all the places have when you set stuff up is you have a snack area, right? And we had a snack area last year at the Super Bowl in Arizona. That's my only ask. I'd like some of these Oreos in our snack area for next week. That's what I would like. These new Oreos, I'd like these to be in our snack area. I know it'll mess with our teeth, the Oreos. I get all that. Sure. Just have yeah. to make sure we drink something to keep our mouth, you know. We, we, Mike, you and I are experienced enough with Oreo eating to be able to make it through that. I think we'll be just fine there. So that's my one ask. Have those space Oreos on our snack table at DraftKings at the Super Bowl.
2: This is like your rider. The space dunk Oreos are on your rider. Boom. Now,
0: as with any snack conversation, and I agree with you, Dad, I hope we, if we're not gonna get these, we need the most stuff Oreos, the ones that have just completely abused cream to the point of no return that I love, that I think should be the standard going forward. But with any snack consideration, we need to always ask the question, Jesse: have you had Oreos?
2: Yes, I've had Oreos. I mean, it's been years. Thank you. It's been years. But don't,
3: don't act like that was a that was a, an off off the wall I question, mean, yeah. Jesse. I mean, you have not tried a lot of things that we are somewhat stunned by. You're
2: not wrong. You're not wrong. So I have had Oreos. Um, it has been a long time since I've had an Oreo, but I have I have had Oreos and I like them. They taste good.
0: All right, so we're, I'm, I'm relieved to hear that as your friend and co-worker, that this is still something that's been a part of your life. So we're going to try and continue to make it part of ours. We'll report back. We'll give you guys a full breakdown if and when this happens at Radio Row. Hell, maybe even for the right price, Oreo people, call us. This could happen on air. In the meantime, Jesse, uh, let's talk about something that we pray to God doesn't happen on air. Uh, the new <sighs> Dune movie uh, is set to come out and... There is an interesting wrinkle, we'll call it, to the uh, theater experience with Dune and their popcorn bucket.
2: Yeah, this is a story that I've been really just hammering home and making sure that we will get this (laughs) on the show. So if anyone's wondering why it's in this, that, and the third, it's because of me. So Dune part two is going viral like a month before it's even been released for reasons that have nothing to do with the movie and everything Mm. to do with the special edition Popcorn cup that is being offered. I can't talk about this with a straight face. So, the lid is a replica of the sandworm. You know, the creature from Arrakis, it's a big part. I don't know if you guys have seen Dune, but it's this that's the sandworm.
0: Please pull back from that shot. Yeah. Oh, God, we are way too close to the
2: opening. So that's the sandworm's mouth. So that's on the top of the, you know, bucket. So you would stick your hand right down there in the middle to grab your popcorn. And it's gone viral on social media for people suggesting something that's not suitable for work that you could do with this popcorn bucket. <laughs>
3: Jesse, can you explain to us why you wanted to do this story? Can you go ahead and fill us in?
2: Yeah, because I have a sense of humor of a a 12 year old boy and I think it's pretty funny that this is being compared to a sex toy let's just call it I like was it just is gonna say,
0: the fact that we have to say Jesse is correct and you're only supposed to stick your arm in there you're only supposed to put your hand <laughs> uh, through that yeah. not no. anything okay. else see you sick see monsters. here's the I worst. Already know we are
3: now going to find out the worst part of the internet when these are out with some of the pictures we're going to get right yeah, I mean, like I somebody mean, we needs know to happened. tell
2: Elmo about this. Oh man. Yeah. No.
0: We, you know what? We can't put this Elmo's Oh, oh don't Elmo's bring Elmo into, into this. Oh! oh. I mean, well, Dad, I don't want to hear it from you yesterday denying Elmo's reality. Here, you're an Elmo denier. You sat up here and, like that guy in the Bible no. who denied Jesus three times, you denied Elmo on a national stage. No, so you don't get to See, come to his defense now. No, yeah. Jesse will take care of Elmo. Poor you sweet Elmo. Real, I was in your reality. I over was in your world.
3: Wrongly crucified for that. I believe in Elmo, the puppet. All all I said is I'm not really into Elmo asking me, you know, any philosophical questions. I love Elmo in Elmo's role. It wasn't philosophy outside of Elmo's role. Doing it was common human decency that you wanted to deny him. Because we all know it's not so much Elmo; it's the the people out there. You knew what they were going to do with some of those answers, and everybody knew it. And even I I almost said even Elmo knew it. Oh my God. Uh, Yeah, yeah, because he did. Welcome. No. Welcome to the show, bud. No, I'm just trying to talk about anything but this bucket. Okay, anything but this bucket.
2: Well, you, it's you know what uh, the bucket's inevitable. Oh right?
0: God, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this one time and then we're gonna move on to the third here. I better not catch y'all out here having sex with the bucket. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> okay, okay. That's the only time right. we're gonna say it, Jesse. Let's move on to all the third.
2: All right. All yeah. Right. Oh things are going pretty bad. All right. Let's talk about. Nick Saban golfing with Travis Scott and 50 Cent. Okay, so over the weekend, Saban, part of this superstar-filled golf event um, at the Floridian National Golf Course, raising money for um, a foundation benefiting disadvantaged children with a focus on STEM classes. So he gets paired with 50 Cent and Travis Scott. And uh, Kristen Saban took to Twitter. She was having... The time of her life, she was like, dad played golf with Travis and 50 Cent like it was MBD. Retirement is going too well. And I got to say, I mean, who is crushing retirement more than Nick Saban right now? Come on.
0: I, oh. I, I really do think, Dad, there's going to be a market for like a Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. If Bill really is taking a gap year or might be done all together with coaching, these two guys have shared history. We've seen them do content before. I feel like following them around for stuff like this would be something that everyone would be in. Get to see these guys smile and experience joy after years of misery and yelling at people. This sounds great. But here is what
3: Nick's going to fall into because of the workaholic that he is. Now, he bought a place in uh, Jupiter Island, $17.5 million waterfront home. And a lot of golfers own property down there uh, as well. And so there's a lot of golf going on. So leave it to Nick Saban to saying, I've been having a great time. Everything has been great. But my golf game is not as good as I'd like it to be. You know this guy is going to grind. He is going to go grind on the golf course because you know he's going to be playing in a lot of these tournaments. And he wants to be better than he is right now.
0: Absolutely. Nick Saban's going to be grinding down there. I'd like to see someone explain the Dune popcorn bucket to him and film that reaction. Uh, If your reaction's still positive, download, subscribe, rate, review us and stick with us. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow.